Welcome back, folks. This is your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM, Fred. And we got a great show here for you today. We're closing out the regular season. We touch on some of our predictions, how they panned out, uh, what we, we called at the beginning of the year. We go over our picks from last week, or some of our favorite storylines, make our selections for wildcard weekend. And then we also discuss some of the uh, the Black Monday firings and guys and all the open positions and the guys we like for each position. So it's all it's gonna be a loaded episode here, and I do apologize getting it out late here. It's I, I've really been struggling. I tested positive for COVID earlier this week, so I've I've been kind of down and out for a couple of days. I've been really active on social, but I lost my voice for most of it. So we're we're just getting back here, but uh, we got we got some great stuff here. So let's just jump right into it right away.
the third storyline coming out of the weekend here is going to be the 49ers overtaking the Rams in OT to clinch their playoff spot. And this is another knockdown drag out fight. At one point, the Niners were down by 17 points. I think I've seen the stat that this is the first time in like 46 instances that Sean McVay has lost a game that he was winning at halftime, uh, 45, somewhere in there. But either way, the, the Niners squeak, squeak went out here, 27 to 24. And what's important to this was if the Saints won and the Niners lost, the Saints were in the playoffs instead of the Niners, Niners would be at home. If the Niners win, they're in no matter what. So Saints get a win before this one went final and put a lot of pressure on the Niners. So they, they had to win to get in. So they, they force overtime on what was a pretty impressive drive by Jimmy Garoppolo and Debo Samuel on a couple big targets. And they push it to OT by scoring a touchdown. They get to OT, they drive down, uh, they're denied the end zone, but they end up kicking the field goal and they get a huge stop on the other side of the ball. It really was a, it was a, it was a really good game. Uh, I know there's a lot of really good games this weekend, but this is definitely one of them. There's a ton of drama in it. Uh, it had a ton of stakes on the line. Everybody that's scoreboard watching knew exactly what was happening. And the 49ers really capitalized. Uh, Shanahan gets the best of his former disciple, Sean McVay. And once again, we get uh, pretty much domination from the Niners in this one. 449 uh, yards of total offense to 265 by the Rams. Uh, they almost doubled them through the air and on the ground. Uh, 314 to 201 and then 135 to 64. And when we take a look at the turnover battle, which is always one of those important numbers, uh, it was even. It was 0-0. So it makes sense that this game gets pushed to OT and just a matter of who can come up with the biggest stop on the biggest situation. And that went to the 49ers, so hats off to them. As mentioned, uh, Debo Samuel further uh, cementing that he is one of the most elite playmakers in this entire league as he goes for 45 yards rushing and a touchdown to pair with 95 yards on four catches. That's extremely dynamic. I think he even had a completed pass in this one, it said, and he ends up getting a 24-yard touchdown pass. So big time for the 49ers, being creative, getting some of their best players the ball. And uh, even in this one, George Kittle had a very quiet day, five catches, 10 yards. So there's still another dimension to this offense that we can unlock and see more from. And really the Niners, they're going to be a, a dangerous matchup as, as they get into the wild card round here. So heading right over into our fourth storyline from the week. And that's going to be the Titans are crowned the number one seed in the AFC as they beat the Houston Texans. I believe it was, excuse me, just been battling this uh, this cold all week. But as they overcome the Houston Texans, they take the number one seed in the AFC, 28-25. to 25. And Ryan Tannehill was really spectacular in this one. I checked in on it about halfway through the day, and he had about three touchdowns already. He ends the day with 287 yards and four touchdowns. And I really thought that this was going to be the, the Deontay Foreman show. I was really uh, riding the hype train after him being our unlikely hero last week. But he still goes for 21 rushes, 69 yards. Uh, so it's capable on the on the ground, especially when you're getting 57 from Hillier to pair with him. But really the name of the game here is Tannehill opening up his offense. Uh, he ends up getting hitting Westbrook for 78 yards and a touchdown. A.J. Brown for 68 yards and a touchdown. Julio Jones for 58 and a touchdown, and Ferks there for 56 and a touchdown. Really spreading the wealth around there. And uh, when they really get dialed up here, and if they get Derrick Henry back for the playoffs, this is going to be an extremely, extremely dangerous team. So hats off to them. They crowned the AFC North cha- or a- AFC champs at the number one seed as well. 
and they're definitely getting that first round buy in the playoffs. On the flip side of things here, I don't want to spend too much time on the Texans because uh, when we get into the offseason here, we'll do some more stuff with some of these teams. But the Texans, uh, they, they mounted a valiant comeback. Davis Mills, 300 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, the rushing game was almost non-existent. You get 28 from David Johnson, 24 from Burkhead. Uh, 113 yards and two touchdowns from Amendola is a, is a really good stat line for him as well. And Nico Collins, the rookie, 67 yards on three catches, showing some of that, that deep threat ability. But really, honestly, the, the Texans finish above water compared to where I thought they would have been uh, last year. Or, excuse me, this offseason at this – I'm, I'm really struggling here. Uh, in the offseason, heading into the season, I thought that they were one of the worst rosters. I thought they were almost a virtual lock for the number one pick. But uh, honestly, they squeak out a few of them. They get a, they get four wins, and they look like a, a few building blocks – can stay on this team as they look to rebuild so hats off to the titans and they got our fourth storyline and our last one that we're going to take a look at here in our fifth storyline and honestly one of the most interesting ones from the entire maybe season uh, especially after last night's victory it's going to be the raiders unlikely playoff berth by beating the the chargers in overtime as they go 35 to 32 they clinch the postseason they eliminate the Chargers in what looked like a, a back-and-forth battle that was going to end in the tie. So essentially what happens here is after all the action had happened, the Raiders won, they were in. If they tied, both of them and the Chargers would get in and eliminate the Pittsburgh Steelers. If the Raiders lost, they were out, Chargers were in. So it was a, it was a loser leaves town, loser leaves the playoff race, all of that fun stuff. And honestly, they get into overtime and they're really battling back and forth, and the Raiders are driving. They're driving. It looks like they're not going to get in field goal range to really make that happen to win the game. So it looks like they're almost running the clock down. But then uh, Brandon Staley, being aggressive like he is, trying to go for the win, takes a timeout to try to realign his defense. And that gives uh, the Raiders an option to kind of change their game plan. They get a 10-yard-plus run from Josh Jacobs, which puts them in field goal range. And they knock it through for the game winner. And the Chargers, in stunning fashion, are just completely eliminated from the playoffs after it looked like they were almost a shoe-in at the beginning of the week. But honestly, that's the, the drama the NFL wants. All this NFL madness, this AFC madness in the playoff race was coming down to the last moment. It was actually really poetic. It was really awesome. Uh, I really liked watching it. And it was really exciting stuff. But the Raiders... One of the most improbable uh, playoff bursts maybe I, I remember seeing ever. Uh, you fire your head coach amidst a scandal. All of these players like Henry Ruggs and Nate Hobbs all having these off-the-field issues being eliminated from the team and uh, being suspended. And here they sit. They're 10-7. They're and seven. They, they punch their ticket. Uh, Rich Passaccia going to have a real opportunity to be the full-time head coach here. It sounds like he's really well-respected in that organization coming from that special teams background. And Derek Carr, uh, props to him as well. He's, it's not always the prettiest game when he's the one engineering it, but at least you know you're going to be competitive. You know you're going to be battling. And he ends up with 186 yards and two touchdowns, which is just enough to make it happen. And the number one benefactor here on the ground is going to be Josh Jacobs, 132 yards, one touchdown, five yards of carry, Looked phenomenal, really bulldozing through a lot of defenders in this one. And on the flip side of things, we take a look at the Chargers. Uh, you get Herbert, a vintage Herbert game, 383 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. 
And on the ground, you had Austin Eckler, 64 yards and a touchdown, uh, with 20 from Justin Jackson as well. So it was really knockdown drag out here. It was back and forth. But the name of the game here is the Raiders did a better job of taking care of the ball. They had no turnovers compared to the two that the Chargers had that really cost them some of the field position and uh, getting some extra possessions there. So the, the Chargers will head into the offseason as the Raiders head for the playoff and uh, very well deserving at, at, at that. As always, we're looking to name a unlikely hero of the week, our infamous uh, Jameis Winston Award winner. And this week, uh, there was easily a game I had to go take a look at to see who was deserving of this award, and it's going to be that Jacksonville game. And when you take a look at it, right off the top, if you, if you would have mentioned this guy is unlikely award winner at the beginning of the season, someone would have called you a liar. But Trevor Lawrence getting it this week after having a really, really rough uh, 16 weeks of the season. He comes into the last one, and he looks extremely competent. He goes 23 for 32, two touchdowns, and then he adds uh, 10 carries for 17 yards on the ground. And the name of the game here is he's really struggled all year to take care of the ball. And then this one, he did a really, really fantastic job of taking care of it. He, uh, he didn't throw any picks. I don't, there was no fumbles on the, excuse me, from him as well, too. And when you pair his ability to throw the football with him doing a good job of taking care of it, you're going to be in a lot of football games, nonetheless, against good football teams. So this is extremely promising moving forward. I just wouldn't have expected him to be an unlikely hero at the beginning of the season. I would have expected him to be a likely hero. But here we are, and that's why that's why they play the games. That's why you play all 17. So hats off to Trevor Lawrence for turning it around, and hats off for the, the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, being able to have some optimism headed into 2022. Before we preview the wild card round here, I just wanted to as always kind of keep myself accountable and let you guys know how we finished up so last week we're 10 and 6 on our picks so another good week uh, really the jacksonville the chargers loss those were some big ones that really hurt us in the long run but i also wanted to just go into depth and see how our official like playoff predictions broke down from earlier in the season so really in the earlier in the season on the nfc side of things our playoff teams were the one-seeded Niners, two-seeded Green Bay, three-seeded Bucks, four-seeded uh, Washington football team, five-seeded Arizona, six-seeded Rams, seven-seeded Seahawks. So how it actually shook out, uh, basically we missed on two playoff teams. Uh, the Washington football team and the Seahawks didn't make it. They were replaced by the Cowboys. And then also, excuse me, really struggling through this one. The Cowboys... And I'm really blanking. Why can't I get this one? Uh, it's going to be the Cowboys and the Eagles. That was the other one. My apologies. So we were pretty close there. We were uh, five for seven on the NFC side of things. On the AFC side of things, we did we weren't quite as sharp. Uh, originally, we had the Buffalo Bills as one, Kansas City Chiefs as the two seed, Ravens as the three, Colts as the four seed, Dolphins as the five, Patriots as the six, and Browns as the seven. How things actually shook out were the Tennessee Titans as the one. The two seed ended up being the Kansas City Chiefs. The three seed ends up being the Buffalo Bills. Four seed ends up being the Bengals. The five seed ends up being the Raiders. The six seed ends up being the Patriots. And then the seven seed ends up being the Pittsburgh Steelers. So on that one, we really only hit on three three of the teams. So three for seven, not as good. NFC was a little bit clear for us. 
uh, five of seven. So as a total, we were eight for 14, just over 50%, so not bad. Uh, the first game up, it's going to be Saturday at 3.30. We get the Raiders at the Bengals. The Bengals rested a lot of guys on uh, Sunday. I don't think Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon played any snaps. I think they, they kind of lead heavily on the backups there, and they were still competitive against the Cleveland Browns. But nonetheless, I think that that was the right move, especially after some of the beatings that Joe Burrow's taken and really uh, Joe Mixon's history of being nicked up. Uh, this is a really good matchup for the Bengals. This is the one that they probably wanted to get. Uh, their defense is playing much better than last year. They get to go against an offense that looks great at times, looks not so great at other times. I really like their run defense more than I like their pass defense. So that really matches up well with what the Raiders do. I think, uh, especially after going in depth on the Raiders game last week, they really want to pound Josh Jacobs. And when they're not able to do that, they're a different type of offense that's going to rely heavily on Derek Carr. On the flip side of things, this uh, Oakland defense looks extremely suspect at times. They have some pass rush ability with uh, Sidney Sydney Crosby, Max Crosby, and uh, Yannick Ngakwe. So it's a really... Uh, Really a good matchup there. You're going to get the high-flying uh, Joe Burrow Bengals going against the uh, hole-in-the-wall kind of secondary here that you get with the Raiders defense. It sounds like, I don't know if Nate Hobbs is still playing or not. I know that he had the DUI uh, heading into last week, but that's a huge hit for them if he doesn't go. I know uh, Trayvon Morig has looked really good in that secondary uh, heading up that safety room, but I just don't think it's going to be enough to handle Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and um, – T. Higgins. It's a it's a really good trio. It might be better than just about anyone in the league, and especially if Joe Mixon is uh, running the ball like I expect him to do, it's going to open up a lot of things to that offense. So give me the Bengals over the Raiders in the first round. And then also, the next game here, it's going to be on Saturday. It's going to be another AFC matchup. We're going to get a rematch of Patriots versus the Bills, and it's going to be at Buffalo. If anybody remembers back, Buffalo got the best of uh, the Patriots in their rematch. They beat them by a couple scores. Uh, the Patriots relied heavily, heavily on the ground game. Mac Jones had an un underwhelming performance. But nonetheless, he's the only rookie quarterback that end up, ends up making the playoffs here. So there's something to be said for that. But when I'm taking a look at this matchup, the first one that the Patriots end up winning was an absolute tornado with uh, how the wind was blowing in that stadium. I think you're going to get another much more level uh, playing field here. Uh, that really favors the Bills if it's if it's even just average ever or excuse me average weather for Buffalo this time of year. So as long as you're not going to get some kind of dust bowl where you got to just pound the rock, I'm going with the Buffalo Bills here, and I, I might go even by m multiple scores. I think Josh Allen's really going to show out, uh, especially in front of that home crowd. So give me Buffalo over the New England Patriots. And into Sunday, the next matchup is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles going against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And really, this is a unexpected uh, playoff berth for the Eagles. I actually honestly thought that they were one of the worst rosters. They, they're set up for the future well, but they were one of the worst rosters in the league. But they end up squeaking it out. They get into the playoffs as a sixth seed, or excuse me, as a seventh seed. And really, they get the opportunity to kind of build on the big season they had under Coach Sirianni in his first year. Uh, Jalen Hurts has looked extremely good uh, at the tail end of the season here. He sat last week to keep him fresh. Uh, they, they weren't necessarily playing for a ton of seeding. It was either the six or the seven for them, but it seems like they liked either matchup, really. And uh, 
when we're taking a look at it, what, what this Eagles team does really well is run the ball. And when they match up with the Buccaneers, they have this front seven that's extremely daunting when they're all healthy. You got Vita Vea, you got Ndamukin Sue, you got Levante David, you got Devin White, all these big-name guys that are known for being able to stop the run. And now you got this this three-headed monster with Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, and, and even include Jalen Hurts in there. Uh, I'm taking the Buccaneers in that matchup. Uh, if I'm them, I'm eliminating the run game. I'm forcing Jalen Hurts to beat me with his arm, which I don't know if he's capable of doing. So give me the ball, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady advancing over the Philadelphia Eagles. Heading right into the next game here, we get the San Francisco 49ers at the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys got a big win uh, over a Eagles team that sat a lot of starters last week. So it wasn't exactly that impressive, but nonetheless, they get a big win. And on the flip side of things, oh, excuse me, we get a 49ers team that's coming off a huge, huge uh, win, huge moral victory for them. And it's it kind of seems like they're getting a lot of these guys back at the right time. Their offense is a completely different unit that started off this season. And as long as Jimmy takes care of the ball, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. Uh, that being said, when you compare them to what's coming on the other side of the ball, you're getting a Dak Prescott-led offense that, for the first time, pretty much all season, it seemed like, was was willing to lean on Ezekiel Elliott in the run game. And it really it paid dividends. Uh, when when you can get Zeke and Tony Pollard going here, it's it's quite impressive what this offense looks like. And it maybe that, that might have to be a bigger dosage here now that Michael Gallup's out of the picture. Uh, Cedric Wilson looks capable of that, of that number three wide receiver. They still got two tight ends, Dalton Schultz, Blake Jarwin. And we all know about what CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper bring to the table. So this is still an extremely potent offense and going against a, a scattershot defense. Even though Nick Bosa having one of his best seasons of his career, uh, I'm still I'm leaning to the 49ers here. I think they're getting hot at the right time. I think there was a true test for them. I think the playoffs started last week, and that type of emotional win is going to really carry over. It's really going to carry over to the, the Dallas football field. And I don't know if I've seen enough sustained success from the Cowboys to really make me feel uh, confident in them and their playoff chances. So give me the Niners over the Dallas Cowboys in the coming week. Which takes us right into the second or the second to last game of the game of the day. I'm really, I'm really having this this sickness really kick my butt. But uh, it's going to be the Steelers at the Chiefs. The Steelers' improbable playoff berth fueled by the Jacksonville victory gets them a, a one-day showdown with the Chiefs, who might be one of the best teams in the league when they're really firing on all cylinders. And uh, the, the Steelers' defense has looked a lot better in recent weeks, but you take a look at some of those quarterbacks they're facing, they, it's not the same caliber that they're going to see in Patrick Mahomes. Tyler Huntley, uh, Baker Mayfield, those aren't those aren't the same caliber dudes as ba- uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, if Clyde edwards alaire is in this one, I could see this being a route, uh, especially with uh, Kansas City's ability to stretch the field and uh, Pittsburgh's inability to defend the run when teams do so. So uh, I'm pretty convincingly taking the Chiefs over the Steelers in this one. And uh, it was a, it was an underdog story for Ben as it was closing out this season. But it's, got, it's, it's coming to a close here. Which takes us into our last matchup. It's another divisional rematch here that we get from the NFC West. It's going to be the Cardinals at the Rams. And the Rams, I honestly thought that they were going to beat the Niners last week. They end up not winning that one. And the Cardinals, on the flip side of things, 
have looked like a shell of them former selves. I, I believe they're like three and four in their last four games or something like that. And the Rams, uh, at least they were competitive last week. They, they pushed the team into OT and nonetheless a really good team that I actually believe is going to win in the first round. So in this one, I'm going to take the Rams over the Cardinals. I'm not going to get too in-depth about it. This Cardinals team has looked like, like I said, a shell of themselves. They're, they were kind of they were kind of fake good for a while there. They were the number one team in the NFL, and they really just kind of fell off the fell off a cliff. And coincidentally, their their head coach Cliff Kingsbury, so pun intended there. But I just don't believe in this Cardinals team and their ability to run the football. I think they're too reliant on the pass. They're too reliant on Kyler Murray's legs and his ability to make uh, crazy things happen outside the pocket. And this defense, ever since J.J. Uh, Watts went down, has hasn't quite been as uh, dynamic as they've been all season. So that's why I'm going to lean on the Rams. Uh, OBJ stepping ups look really good. Uh, as long as Stafford takes care of the ball, they should be able to win this one. So give me the Rams over the Cardinals. So that's going to be it for our games this week. Uh, I, I feel pretty confident in most of these select these uh, these picks here. I know there's always one or two uh, big shakeups, big uh, upsets in that first round. So I guess we'll we'll have to see which one it's going to be. But make sure you stay tuned. And as always, we're, we're making really good picks here. For our last segment on this week's episode here, we're going to be diving into some of the, the coaching hot seat stuff. So there was a lot of personnel moves made over the last uh, week here with Black Monday coming after last week. And a lot of uh, coaches were fired. And in turn, also some GMs were dismissed as well. So for the coach uh, list for here first, it's going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, let go of Ruben Meyer, as we already knew, the Las Vegas Raiders let go of John Gruden, as we already knew, and then the Minnesota Vikings fired Mike Zimmer after eight seasons, the Chicago Bears got rid of Matt Nagy after a few seasons as well, then surprisingly, the Miami Dolphins let Brian Flores go. I know I had mentioned this one uh, earlier in the year when we had our coaching hot seat discussion, but after kind of their their hot finish, I thought that he would have been safe, but it sounds like there was some uh, distrust in the in the organizational head there that basically on how to run things moving forward and then also Denver let Vic Fangio go after three seasons and the New York Giants uh, parted ways late in the week with uh, Joe Judge so kind of just diving into each situation on its own uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars when we're taking a look at this job here uh, Jacksonville Jaguars actually have excuse me the third most uh, projected cap space uh, they have their first-round pick, which is going to be, I believe it's number one overall. They have a quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, so it's a pretty attractive job as it currently stands. And I know a lot of people talk about, like, they, oh, they need this season head coach. They need a guy that's been there, it's, that's ran the ran the room before. I don't really buy into all that. I just think you got to go get a guy that you consider to be a great coach that's going to be able to coach up Trevor Lawrence. And uh, when I'm taking a look at this spot, I'm – I'm thinking Doug Peterson. I think Doug Peterson be a really good fit here. He worked really well with Carson Wentz, got the most out of him. And even when Wentz went down, he got the most out of Nick Foles. They led him to a Super Bowl while he was there. He's had experience with uh, the Kansas City teams. That's uh, They've always had some very deep playoff runs there as well, even before the Patrick Mahomes stuff. Uh, he's learned under Andy Reid. So I think he'd be a really great influence, and he'd be a really – Big-time uh, veteran presence over that Jacksonville locker room. So that would be my pick there. Uh, in Las Vegas, I don't want to go too into depth about this one because they're still live. They're still playing for a playoff race, which is why I think that this makes way too much sense. Uh, I'm going to go with Rich Passaccia. 
uh, just ba- basically because he led this team to a playoff berth amidst all of this nonsense that's been on with this team. So why not make give the guy the full-time gig? These guys love playing for him. They're winning football games. Keep him in the house, right? Don't let him go any further. I think he's a, he'd be a, a more than worthy candidate here, especially taking this team that I thought that should have been three, four, five wins to 10 wins in a playoff berth. So Rich Passaccia, you're staying in Las Vegas. Which leads us to the Minnesota Vikings. Also, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, a very coveted job, supposedly. Uh, They are 30th in projected cap space this offseason, so it's not like they have a ton of room to move up and down. I do believe they own their first-round pick as well. And when I'm taking a look at this job, it's it's basically centered around what's already there. Uh, You got Dalvin Cook, you got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, K.J. Osborne looked all right. Uh, Kirk Cousins is a huge question mark on this team. He's got one year left on that deal. Uh, but when you flip it to the defensive side of things is where it gets a little bit more murky. I know you got Daniel Hunter, uh, Harrison Smith, and that's, that's really about it. What you're working with on the defensive side of the ball. Eric Kendricks is pretty solid. Anthony Barr, a couple key pieces there. So it's not like it's a complete dumpster fire in Minnesota, but where I'm leaning towards here is, uh, the guy I like for this job is going to be Mike McDaniel. Uh, Mike McDaniel is the the OC run game coordinator and over in San Francisco. He's been the right-hand man for Kyle Shanahan pretty much at every stop. Uh, he he did his best to protect him from getting uh, poached away when uh, LaFleur went over to the New York Jets. So I think Mike McDaniel making another move upwards would be a really good move here, especially what they're able to do with that run game. Could you imagine with Dalvin Cook in this offense? I think that'd, look, that'd be really great. And uh, when everybody talks about uh, Shanahan's most ideal quarterback. Who do you talk about? Kirk Cousins. And where's Kirk Cousins playing? He's playing in Minnesota. So let's give him one year. Let's get a good system in there. And I, I think he could bring some of that culture over from the 49ers and uh, really be able to move the ball on offense and really be able to build a, a staff around him as on that defense as well, too. So that's going to take us over to the Chicago job. Uh, Chicago... Currently, as it stands, I'm pulling up the the cap the cap list uh, rankings of projected cap space for coming into this year here, and it looks like Chicago currently is slated to have be 13th in cap space, 34 million and 34 and a half million projected. Uh, that's you know a little bit above average, but when you're taking a look at it here, they don't own their first round pick this year. They sent that over to the New York Giants and the. Justin Fields trade, but that's that's what makes this job attractive right here is you have a young quarterback in Justin Fields. Uh, I know a lot of the rest of the roster needs a lot of work, especially the offensive side of the ball, but with some of that cap space and a quarterback already present, that's going to give you some flexibility here. And I honestly really like Justin Fields as a prospect. So sign me up for this as being one of the better jobs. Uh, I think Brian Flores makes a lot of, lot of sense here as well, too where he can help continue to build that defense. They got a few key pieces still in place. Uh, Khalil Mack still in house. They got Eddie Jackson. So they got Jalen Johnson in the secondary. They got a few pieces that I really like, Roquan Smith as well. So I think that he could help build that defense and really get the most out of it as it currently stands and help add to it. He's also, it sounds like everywhere he's went is really been a big culture guy. All of his players love playing for him. I think a lot of the Miami guys were heartbroken if you've seen the reaction to his firing. So I think that that would really bode well, and that'd be a really good move for the Chicago Bears front office. So give me Brian Flores to the Chicago Bears, which is going to take us to the Miami job. And Miami currently, as it stands, is 
the number one team in projected cap space this offseason at $68 million. So that's going to make the options that you have to build this roster out a lot or are very high. There's going to be a ton of options for you. And when I'm taking a look at it here, uh, you currently have two under contract. It sounds like the, the Sean Watson thing's kind of dead at this moment. They still could look to make that may, look to make that move, but I don't know if Deshaun would really want to come there anymore. It sounded like kind of the buzz was he wanted to play for Brian Flores, and if Brian Flores isn't there anymore, who's he going to want to play for? So when I'm taking a look at it here, let's see what we can get to get to maximize our quarterback and really build out an offense that we'd want to run. And if we look at a guy that's really done a good job developing a quarterback and developing an offense, I'd turn my head over to Buffalo and you got Brian Dab or excuse me, Brian Dabble, uh, the OC over there in uh, Buffalo. He's been done absolute wonders with Josh Allen. That right there alone is going to be the resume that you're going to want to sign up for to begin with. And also, he's really built that offense into a juggernaut the last couple of years really without much of a run game at all. So if you could somehow find a way to build some of that run game in, you already got Tua, you got Jalen Waddell already in place as well. It sounds like I, I believe Mike Gusecki's going to be coming back as well. They got some young pieces on that offensive line. I'd really like to see what Brian Dabble could do here, especially they still have a first-round pick from the Niners in this draft. Uh, sign me up for that and sign me up for Brian Dabble to South Beach which is going to take us to the Denver opening. And when I take a look at the Denver opening, it's one of the more attractive jobs uh, that's currently available. And the name that I like to go here is going to be Nathaniel Hackett. And Nathaniel Hackett uh, is going to be coming to Denver where they have the seventh most, most cap space in the NFL available. It would be $48 million. Uh, If you're going to look for a guy that's got experience with Aaron Rodgers to try to lure him out, uh, this is your guy. He's shown that he's a winner the last couple years. He's he's grown underneath Matt Lafleur in that offense. So there's that possibility you could maybe talk Rodgers into coming over. But even though that kind of seems like that ship has sailed, uh, you could still get a veteran quarterback in here, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, and showing that this guy knows how to work with uh, big personalities like that. It shows that he knows how to manage an offense. And the big thing is too is that learning under that Matt Lafleur offense. He's going to get the most out of Javante Williams, and this offensive line is ready to go. I think if they can try to keep Mike Munchak in house there as well too to work with uh, Nathaniel Hackett, I think that'd be huge. And uh, this defense is like ready made, so if he can try to find uh, a good DC to pair with him to come into Denver, I think he's the right guy for the job to really set up that run game for success and really manage any type of big uh, veteran presence in the quarterback room that they try to go after. And then the last job, and this one is the one that I think is the the least appealing job overall. Uh, if it wasn't for the two first-round picks, I don't really know if you could sign me up for this one. But they're actually 28th in cap space as well for the projected 2022 cap. And uh, it, they have a big decision with Daniel Jones. I would imagine he'd be out of town. Uh, they lost their GM as well, too, in uh, David Gettleman. But really, you're, you're hanging your hat on the two first-round picks here. And uh, some of the other small key pieces, uh, Saquon Barkley's a big decision. They got some decent playmakers on the outside, Kadarius Toney, uh, uh, Darius Slayton. I'm, I'm trying to pick some here because they're few and far in between. Andrew Thomas has looked all right at times. Uh, they, they're they're going to have a lot of big decisions on the offensive side of the ball. And we flip to the other side, you got Leonard Williams, you have James Bradbury. You have uh, Xavier McKinney, who's looked really good at safety. 
They got some small cornerstone pieces on that side. Oh, and Aziz Ojolari, uh, I believe he was second or third in rookie sacks this year. So there's some there's some better pieces there on the defensive side of things compared to the offensive side of things. But there's not going to be a lot of opportunity this year to make the roster better, which is why I think this is going to be a longer rebuild. I think uh, the, the Giants have gotten a ton of flack lately for their inability to keep a head coach and put him in a successful position to keep the job for a few years. They keep moving on after one or two so I think that this might be a little bit of a longer-term gig, which is why I'm going to go with a real culture-building identity that's going to be able to manage that New York media. Uh, they're proven winners before. Give me Jim Caldwell would be my first name on the list. And if you're not going to go Jim Caldwell, I heard there was a GM name floated around that came out of the Indianapolis Circle. Give me Matt Eberflus, one of those two names. Jim Caldwell, basically, because he's a very level-headed uh guy he won in indianapolis he won in detroit uh he hasn't had a gig in a long time i think he could bring a ton of stability to your front office and if you decide to go with a young quarterback in the draft and move on from daniel jones he's going to get the most out of him he's going to be able to develop him if you decide to stay with daniel jones this is a guy that's worked with peyton manning he's worked with matt stafford he's worked with a lot of big name dudes and he's got the best of their abilities out of them. So I think that he could be a great presence for that room as well, and he knows how to run an offense. The only other reason I would like Matt Eberflus is if you paired him with an Indianapolis exec, I think what Eberflus has done in building a defense in Indianapolis, he could bring this uh, this defense back from the, for the New York Giants as well too. They were pretty good last year, and they kind of fell off the face of the earth this year. But you've got some key pieces like we mentioned earlier in Aziz Ojolari, uh, Leonard Williams, I believe Dexter Lawrence is there, Xavier McKinney. I think that you could build out the defense the way he wants it to look and really kind of turn it around here really quick on that side of the ball. Like I said, there's a, there's much more to be done on the offensive side of things, but I, I think that, that that's, a, that's a possibility. So my, that would be my first pick would be Caldwell, second pick Eberflus, but that's kind of the direction I'd be heading there. So that's kind of like a, a brief overview. I wanted to make sure we touch on all this and kind of who I thought my favorite names were. I know I threw them on on Twitter there this week, but I also wanted to make sure I dove in a little bit more why I like those guys. Uh, like I said, none of these jobs are extremely appealing, uh, basically for a number of reasons from tumultuous or up and down ownership to basically not having enough capital to improve the roster. But if I had to rank them right now, the 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 best job to the worst job, I think the best job has got to be, if you're asking me, it's got to be Denver. I think that that's a very attractive position. They're a ready-made roster. They're basically a quarterback away. And if you look at what uh, could be done with that roster, if you can even just get average quarterback play, I think you could be a easily a, a six, seven, five, six, seven seed in the AFC. Uh, the number two job, in my opinion, has got to be the Minnesota one cause for the same reasons. There's a ton of stuff in place on the offensive side of the ball there. Uh, Justin Jefferson's like a generational receiver prospect. Dalvin Cook is one of the top five running backs in the league. And even the defense isn't that far behind either. And then if I'm taking a look, the third best job, in my opinion, has got to be that Jacksonville job. They got Trevor Lawrence there, who's been long thought to be one of the top quarterback prospects in the last decade, along with a ton of cap space. And then the number four job's got to be Miami. Uh, I, I do have some question marks around Miami just because of why would you fire Brian Flores with all the success he's seen compared to what this roster's thought to have been. But when you take a look at the cap space situation, you look at what this defense has been, and you look at some of the key pieces on the offense, I think there's a lot there's a lot to look forward here to. 
And I think there's a great uh, room for improvement as long as you, you believe in the ownership there. The, the fifth job is going to be Las Vegas. Uh, I'm still not buying Las Vegas. I apologize. That's why I think what, what Rich, Rich Passaccia has done is so, so brilliant is because I just don't think much of this team. I don't think much of this, this roster as a whole. So that's why I think that they have their best option in place already. And then number six, I'm going with Chicago just because they don't have a ton of draft capital. They're kind of middling in the middle of the pack there with cap space. Uh, Justin Fields is a huge piece, but the rest of that offense is in, in shambles other than maybe David Montgomery. But we've seen how replaceable running backs are in this league. And that defensive pass rush outside of Cleo Mack is, is almost nothing, and he's getting up there in age. So that Chicago job's number six. And the worst job has got to be New York Giants. Just how bad they've looked on the offensive side of the ball. I think they scored like one touchdown in like eight weeks. Uh, that's not a lot to believe in. Uh, the Daniel Jones piece and Saquon Barkley piece are just huge question marks. You don't know what they're going to do with them. They don't have any room to improve this roster outside of a, some draft capital. So it's going to be a blank slate. It's going to be a long-term rebuild there. I'm just really curious to see who gets it. So that's basically how I'd rank them out. Those are the guys that I'd like to see in those positions. Uh, I just want to touch on two of the GM spots as well. I know Minnesota fired uh, Rick Spielman. Chicago fired Ryan Pace. Uh, New York Giants also had David Gettleman step down and retire. It sounds like the Jacksonville Jaguars GM spot's going to remain in place as well. Uh, if I'm ranking those jobs as well, it's 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 extremely similar. I'd go Minnesota, Chicago, New York Giants, uh, just because for the same reasons that most of the times these head coaches are tied with their GM. So basically, the reason you'd want to be a head coach is your GM has the ability to make the roster better around you with the players that you like. So they're they're kind of hand-in-hand, hand, but not always do they make the move at the same time. I'm not going to really go into candidates for the GMs just because there's so many guys out there, um, and a lot of them are behind-the-scenes behind kind of work that we don't really hear about until we get to around this time of the year. So I'm not going to try to step my foot in the door there. But if I was the GM, the, the Minnesota job has got to be number one on my list. Number two has got to be Chicago with Justin Fields. Number three has got to be that New York Giants job. So let us know your thoughts. Um, I just wanted to make sure we touched on this and got our thoughts out there on basically where the NFL's at with some of these uh, front office positions. So that's going to be it, folks. Uh, that's going to be all we got for you here on this week's episode. I appreciate you working with me as I'm I'm fighting off this uh this COVID sickness. It's really been kicking my butt the last few days. So once again, uh, I appreciate you guys. Make sure you hit subscribe. We're always going to be coming back with some great content. I want to introduce a new segment here once we get in some of this off-season stuff. I want to be able to do some of our Fix Your Franchise stuff. As well, too, once we get into the offseason, trying to fix some of these these teams that are definitely out of the mix at this point. So make sure you hit the subscribe button. We'll see you guys all next week.